couple of weeks ago, I took some time to watch a documentary, a recent documentary about Rachel Carson, one of the early 20th century environmentalists, one of the pioneers of our modern environmentalist movement. And it was a really extraordinary story about, about this woman who fell in love with the natural world. As a child, she would go on hikes and she connected uh, with with our world in such a way that it led her into a career um, as a researcher and a marine scientist and also as a writer. And so she began to write about her love of the world and she began to write about the life of the ocean and she captured the imagination of mid-century, 20th century America by revealing this world that many people hadn't even explored or didn't know existed. But as she continued to research and observe and read, she began to be deeply disturbed by what she saw happening. Because in the 1940s and the 1950s, it seemed like the solution to all our problems was these pesticides and these chemicals that we could spray and, and diseases would go away and our crops would grow better and all of our problems were going to be solved. Man had conquered at last nature. But she began to notice all the problems that we now just take for granted, the, the effects of chemicals on our crops, the effects of chemicals on wildlife, and then the effects of chemicals on us as human beings. And this went so completely against her, her sense that we live in this interconnected world. She said, in nature, nothing exists alone. And so as she wrote, or as she thought and she researched, she began to write a book that, that was a bestseller in 1962 called Silent Spring. Some of you may remember this book that really changed the, the whole concept of, of our world and what and the power that chemicals could have and the need to, to look at the long-term effects of things that we put into our world and put into our bodies and expose creation to. It's in a conversation that continues to go on. And yet this one woman who was not married, who lived a pretty isolated life, who was very introverted and yet deeply loved this world, began to make a seismic change in our country and in our understanding. In The Silent Spring, she has this quote, Why should we tolerate a diet of weak poisons, a home in insipid surroundings, a circle of acquaintances who are not quite our enemies. The noise of motors with just enough relief to prevent insanity. Who would want to live in a world which is just not quite fatal? That's a really powerful question, isn't it? Who would want to live in a world that is just not quite fatal? Let's pray. Oh God, on this day when we are invited to celebrate creation, we're invited to take a moment 
to breathe deeply and look at the trees, to listen to the water, to consider our connection and interconnectedness with all that lives. May we have the grace to allow that to change our hearts, to dedicate ourselves again to live in a world that is flourishing. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Who would want to live in a world which is just not quite fatal? Who indeed? And yet we do. The invitation of Rachel Carson, the invitation that the earth is offering to us every day is the invitation of our text today. To live in confident, connected love. To so know your identity as one who is loved by God that you are free to love others, to love our world, and even to love yourself. And yet we're all aware, as beautiful as those words are, we're all aware of how difficult it can be. We're all aware of, of this reality where our consciences, as Clarence Jordan put it in his paraphrase of that text, our consciences are damaged by separation. Separation that we have inherited, separation that maybe has been caused by our actions in the world, separation that is just a reality of being born into this world. The the translation of the text, the more traditional translation says, it's the condemnation of our own hearts that prevents us from being and sharing love in the world. It is our wounds and the sense of separation that keeps our worlds small, that keeps us from living confidently in love. This text is so psychologically savvy in this way and and to me kind of ahead of its, its time, at least how we often think of scripture. It makes this direct connection between our identity with love and how we relate to ourselves, to our own hearts, and how we relate to God, and how we relate to others. What happens both between our ears, the separation that happens in that space, and the separation that we see on the world stage, that it's all a failure to live in this identity grounded in love. And so the invitation of the text is to love. The invitation of the text is to go beyond the condemnation and the damaged consciences of our own internal realities, to wake up to this interconnectedness that is all around us. So many of our lives and so many of our world systems are built around disconnection, built around suspicion, built around shame, built around this idea that you must be diminished in order for me to feel important. 
built around this, this constant sense of trying to earn a love that is already ours. And so we play small. We live in a world that is just not quite fatal. Instead of opening our arms and living in this expansive, interconnected reality. Again, this, this plays out on big world stages, but it also, and it always begins, and the change happens within the small spaces within our own souls. This past week, Juno Diaz, who is a Pulitzer Prize-winning author, wrote a, an incredibly beautiful, all this, you know, the profanity is, I can't quote it in church, but incredibly beautiful article for The New Yorker in which he identifies the fact that his entire life he has been denying and running from sexual abuse that happened to him when he was eight years old. And how as an eight-year-old his entire world changed. And that because of that change he, is, he was running from intimacy, he was unable to be honest, he was unable to be in the world. He was unable to make connections and live in this sense of interconnection because of, of the trauma and the brokenness that he ex had experienced so young. These coping mechanisms that we, we have to deal with this sense of disconnection are powerful. They're powerful within us. They're powerful outside of us. And the writer of 1 John says, they keep us from loving one another. This sense of, um, of conscience in this text is not, is not because God is condemning our conscience, not because God is condemning us, but because we are condemning ourselves, because we are living in this sense of disconnection. And the invitation in this text is to see my brother in need and to respond, to see where my sister hurts and listen, to, to step outside of, of the brokenness of our lives and to live in this sense of connection, actively loving others, not out of guilt or compulsion, but because we are connected. As Juno Diaz said in his, in his article, it wasn't until he's been able to be honest about the abuse that he suffered, about the trauma, that he, he is now able and just finding the first steps to be able to be connected with each other. And so we also, as the text says, are invited to tell the truth about our lives, to tell the truth about how we are living. And ironically, some of these first steps that, that have to do with world change, with shift in our very creation, come from our own, our own first steps of living in interconnected love, living in relationship. Resurrection becomes real when we step out in courage to love, to live a connected life, to let go of all that diminishes us, to let go of our lesser identities, identities as a consumer, 
Identities of someone who wins or loses. Identities of needing to be successful. Identities of wanting to be liked or admired. And instead, risk love, risk connection. And the text says that is where the Spirit meets us. And God, God is always working with us to bring us into this sense of connection. That's what the Spirit's job is in our lives and in our world. You know when you meet people who are this free. You see it in their faces. You see it in their actions, in the, in the way that they can both tell the truth and love you at the same time, at the freedom they have in this world. And I had the privilege of meeting one such person a few years ago. Uh, I was in a writer's workshop, and there were 12 of us, and we got to spend the afternoon with uh, the, the poet and writer and farmer Wendell Berry. And I got to sit right next to him at the table. This was one of the highlights of my life. And he smelled like soap um, and sunshine. I was probably in my imagination, but um, it was a wonderful, wonderful afternoon. But if you don't know Wendell Berry, he is also one of the champions of our environmental movement. And again, not, out of, not coming from a sense of guilt, but actually speaking from a sense of love, love of this land connectedness to where he lives, connectedness to his family's land. And he's a gifted writer, and he was living in New York and had all reason to think that he would be success in the literary world, which he has been anyways, but he decided to leave New York as a young man and move back to Kentucky and move back to the farm on which he had grown up and to farm that land and to love that land and to know that land. And out of that space of, of true connection, he has spoken as a prophet to so many of us and invited us to live a life that is connected. And so I want to end uh, this morning by reading a, a poem that he wrote um, that, that it challenges me every time I read it and challenges all of us, I think, in, in the crazy worlds we live in to live this life of connection. It's called a manifesto, the Mad Farmer Liberation Front. Love the quick profit, the annual raise, vacation with pay. Want more of everything ready-made. Be afraid to know your neighbors and to die. And you will have a window in your head not even your future will be a mystery anymore. Your mind will be punched in a card and shut away in a little drawer. When they want you to buy something, they will call you. When they want you to die for profit, they will let you know. So friends, every day do something that won't compute. Love the Lord. Love the world. Work for nothing. Take all that you have and be poor. Love someone who does not deserve it. Denounce the government and embrace the flag. Hope to live in that free republic for which it stands. Give your approval to all you cannot understand. Praise ignorance for what man has not encountered he has not destroyed. Ask the questions that have no answers. Invest in the millennium. Plant sequoias. Say that your main crop is the forest that you did not plant, 
that you will not live to harvest. Say that the leaves are harvested when they have rotted into the mold. Call that prophet. Prophesy such returns. Put your faith in the two inches of hummus that will build under the trees every thousand years. Listen to carrion. Put your ear close and hear the faint chattering of the songs that are to come. Expect the end of the world. Laugh. Laughter is immeasurable. Be joyful, though you have considered all the facts. So long as women do not go cheap cheap for power, please women more than men. Ask yourself, will this satisfy a woman satisfied to bear a child? Will this disturb the sleep of a woman near to giving birth? Go with your love to the fields. Lie down in the shade. Rest your head in her lap. Swear allegiance to what is nighest your thoughts. As soon as the generals and the politicos can predict the motions of your mind, lose it. Leave it as a sign to mark the false trail, the way you didn't go. Be like the fox who makes more tracks than necessary, some in the wrong direction. Practice resurrection. We practice resurrection when we dare to live a connected life. We practice resurrection when we reach out to love another. We practice resurrection when that love, that connection, is the most important thing we know. It takes uh, some healing. It takes some truth-telling. It takes some missteps. And yet living a connected life is the life of resurrection. Amen.